0: You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Hey, Joyful Warriors, Tiffany Justice here from Moms for Liberty, and today we are joined by Marilyn Muller. And Marilyn uh, can be described in many different ways. First and foremost, she's a mom, um, and uh, she's also a pro bono advocate for children. Um, and literacy and um, Marilyn, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. I'm going to kind of let you tell everyone a a little bit about your background. I'll just share that uh, I met Marilyn on Twitter and uh, we've gotten to know each other a little bit and been able to chat. My son has experienced some concerns Um, well I experienced concerns he experienced some uh, unpleasantness in school and uh, the masking seemed to exacerbate a lot of that for him and Marilyn was a a good friend who who, who talked to me through a little bit about learning what my son needed and why he did not like school so much so Marilyn welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast Thank you So you say literacy is equity what does that mean?
1: Well (laughs) Um, It literally means just that. Um, I truly believe that the only equity that can be provided to all children is the ability to read and write and numerate proficiently. Um, Beyond that, it's up to all of our children to work to achieve their goals. So, um, you know, there's this buzzword about equity, equity as in equal outcomes. So if all children graduate high school reading proficiently, then you can say that they all have equity in their education.
0: So you say the system does not serve all students. I know you have some personal experience and you've learned from this. So tell us, the system does not serve all students. How do we know that?
1: Well, if you look at outcomes, we know that because about 65% of our general education population does not read or numerate proficiently. And about 75 to 90% of our students that learn differently do not read or numerate proficiently. So, so differently means the outcomes what? tell yeah. the story. Yeah, absolutely. The
0: idea that two thirds of kids in our schools are not getting the skills that they need to be successful in life, mainly literacy, right? Learning how to read, is just mind blowing to me I, I can't even imagine I, I I've said before on this podcast when you when kids can't read you're basically condemning them to a life of struggle and possibly crime because as we look at our prisons we see that the illiteracy rate in prisons is around 75 percent 74 percent so um, you know the system does not serve all students you're talking about children who learn differently tell us what that means
1: uh, well, there's a, a percentage of the population, the best guesstimate is about one in five or 20 percent, um, have um, a unique wiring in their brains um, that takes a different pathway to their learning center in their in their brain. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, children who have language-based learning difficulties, like dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, autism, Down syndrome, um, as well as your deaf and blind or deaf-blind um, children. So they all benefit from um, language-based learning um, approach uh, that incorporates like their, their senses, multiple senses, and so that um, the teaching or instruction resonates and gets through um, kind of like their, their long pathway to their learning center. So
0: I've heard you use the term neurodivergence. They're neurodiverse. Um, is that what you would say, that these students are neurodiverse, that they're, the pathways to, and, and the way that they learn is, is different than the, the traditional pathways um, that a, a child would learn if they weren't struggling with, with some type of learning issue?
1: Right. So, neurodivergent learners um, will typically require more time. Um, also your, your ADHD children, um, also would be considered typically neurodivergent. There's a high comorbidity rate of ADHD with language-based learning differences or difficulties like dyslexia. So if you look at it this way, say you want to get from point A to point B and the neurotypical child has a straight line. But the neurodivergent child has like, you know, a fork to the left and then a fork to the right to get to the same point. So it's not that they don't have the same ability because most neurodivergent learners have average to above average cognitive abilities. It's just that it takes a different route to get to the same end point. So what you just said is really
0: striking to me. You said that there's significant evidence of comorbidities between children that have ADHD and that have some type of learning disability like, let's say, dyslexia. So when you say comorbidity, that means increased chance of death. Um, Tell us, and and you speak from experience as a mom. I started this interview saying that you're a mom. I know that you have a daughter. And um, you've seen what it looks like for a child to be in a public school classroom and not be given the help to kind of follow that path that forks off a couple times, right? But that your daughter is extremely um, able to learn and be successful in a classroom. So tell us, um, what struggles do these children go through when their needs are not being met in school?
1: Um, well, it runs a, a, a spectrum of, of difficulties. Um, you know, there's there's a great quote that I came across probably in the last six months while I was doing some research about um, the tragedy in Michigan with the school shooter. Yes. And um, there's this really brilliant guy over in Europe. And the quote is children's behavior is inextricably Linked to their level of reading. Wow. Um, and he goes on to say that you can address violence by eradicating illiteracy, and that's very powerful. So when you think about a child, um, my daughter Lauren, she's she's my only biological child. I have two um, stepchildren. And so I was fully focused um, and fortunate to be a stay-at-home mom. I did, you know, quote-unquote, all the right things, you know, we did, we played all the games, we did the phonics, we did, you know, preschool. Um, She actually was in early intervention for an expressive language delay at 18 months, which now in hindsight should have been the biggest red flag for me. However, I was a first time mom. I am one of eight children and we all graduated from public schools and have gone on to be successful. So I was naive in my blind faith and trust in the system for which we are conditioned to have. So um, as she entered kindergarten, lauren was you know a bright vivacious happy-go-lucky child um and she had for kindergarten um this guy teacher male teacher who had 25 years of experience and so um again naively i felt very comfortable thinking oh well here she has you know this guy with a, a bunch of experience and, you know, everyone in town was like, oh, you're so lucky you got Mr. Manini. And um, so I just felt comfortable, maybe too comfortable. Um, but Lauren began to show signs. Now, again, in hindsight, that I should have been more clued into. And I just implore all the mommies out there to Really be in tune with your young children's behavior because behavior is their primary form of communication. Um, and Lauren would begin to show signs of not wanting to go to school, not looking forward to school. Um, she would also be one of the first children to run out the door at pickup she would give me a really tight squeeze and we'd walk to the car. And within about two minutes of being in the car together, she would melt down. Okay. And that there are familiar. Native- any
0: parents that are listening. Does that sound familiar to you? Um, Marilyn's throwing up a red flag, the behavior of your child. If you see it changing, if school is inducing this type of, 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 you know, uh, anxiety or depression in your child, pay attention.
1: Yes. So there's there's two key phrases for when you think your children's behavior may be, you know, linked to something going on at school. Number one is school refusal. It's something that you can key in on the Internet and find a plethora of information about. That is the behaviors in the morning that show opposition or resistance to getting ready for school. Um, And I think we've all been through one or two battles in the morning about getting off to school. The other one is what's called after-school restraint. And that is also a key phrase you can search on the internet. Um, And that really relates to when you hear teachers say, oh, well, Lauren is like, you know, the ideal student at school, we don't see her exhibiting mm-hmm. any signs of behavior. And then she comes home and she has a meltdown. OK, that's called after school restraint. That's when your child tries their best to keep it together all day long because they know they'll get in trouble. And then when they get home to their safe space, they have to let go. They have to let all that down. And that's when they melt down. So that's called after school restraint
0: so i think what you just talked about is really important this the idea of after school since restraint and then the idea of the child holding it together all day long in in the classroom because when you're right i have experienced this as well as a mom um i i've I've got four kids so there there, there's some refusal in general sometimes about school you know they don't want to get up they don't want to get dressed i get that but then when i saw it exhibited in a way that was different, more intense, more pronounced, more frequent with one of my children, um, and I know you and I spoke at that time. It was it was different, and when I went to the school and I spoke to them about the fact that we were seeing increased aggressive behavior, right, and we were seeing the meltdowns after school, that in general a lot of the teachers were like well, we don't he seems like he's fine at school, there's no issue, we don't see any issue at school, he he seems fine, and. You know, this to me is that kind of chipping away at the the input of the parent, right? We, we're, we're fine to partner with our kids' schools. We don't co-parent with them. And so what is it like when a parent, as a parent, you go to your kid's school and you say, I think I think something's up here with my child because I'm seeing, you know, either the refusal or the restraint. Any advice for a parent if they're approaching to start this conversation with their children's school? Um, well,
1: the mo- the The best way to describe it is um, we were met with resistance and a term called gaslight, where um, basically um, the school does not acknowledge you as a parent, um, and they also try to um, dismiss all of your parental concerns. Um, And again, in hindsight, looking back, um I I was gas I, my husband and I were victims of gaslight from the very beginning because again Lauren showed signs she exhibited this behavior um of school re- refusal and after school restraint and when we had our last parent teacher conference with her kindergarten teacher he said to us in hindsight I should have referred Lauren to the Jumpstart Reading Program So can you imagine being the mother, a very involved mother, a very, you know, I'm a mom's mom, I'm a mama bear, I pushed, I pushed, as far as like always asking questions is what I mean by pushing, I need more information, I need help you know, um, you're the expert, right? I'm supposed to listen to you. So now this man of 25 years is telling me in hindsight. So that just sends a message to me that I just lost. My daughter just lost the whole year of kindergarten because him in hindsight is telling me he should have done this. Okay. Well, the jumpstart reading program is for children that exhibit signs of struggling to learn to read, okay? Um, And people are going to say, oh, well, kindergarten's too early, and they all read when they're ready, and blah, 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 or my child didn't struggle, blah, blah, blah. That's great, okay? I'm happy for everyone's experience. Everyone is going to have a different experience. You're going to have a different experience, even within the same biological family children, okay? Absolutely, However, Researchers estimate that 95% of all children can learn to read by the end of first grade. 95%. That's a lot of kids. That's
0: most kids. I mean, that is the overwhelming majority, 95%.
1: Right. So, and that 95% includes your neurotypical child and your neurodivergent child. And the reason they can say that is because if teachers are trained and credentialed with the science of reading and direct explicit instruction, then 95% of the children in their classroom will be able to read at grade level by the end of first grade.
0: Well, that's a, you bring so, up a really great point. So we've got over 60% of American kids who can't read. And I know it, you can follow Marilyn on Twitter. It's at one in five advocacy, right? The number one in five, the number five advocacy. And you talk, and I know you call out, you know, a lot of people about teacher prep and, um, are the teachers learning what they need to learn in order to be able to reach our children in the classroom?
1: I have many reasons to believe that they are not. And I will point you to teachers themselves who have their masters in curriculum and instruction, their their masters in reading, they're reading specialists, they're this, they're that, the other. And they were never, never taught how to instruct reading based on what we call the science of reading, um, which is another plethora of taxpayer-funded research, I'll have you know, um, that we've all funded over the years. Um, at some of the most elite universities in the world, MIT, Harvard, Yale, um, the Florida Center for Reading Research, which I believe is with either Florida State University, I think it's Florida State University. My point is, we have decades, decades of research that point to the benefits of direct explicit instruction um, for all learners however we don't require our teachers to be credentialed in it and most schools do not uh, support that type of instruction so i want to get back to your story with lauren i just
0: want to jump in quickly and say just quote this is from the national Council on teacher quality national national council excuse me on teacher quality most states still do not verify that elementary early childhood or special education teacher candidates know the most effective methods to teach their future students how to read only 20 states require a test that fully measures elementary candidates knowledge of the science of reading and only 11 states requires such a test of their special education teachers even though difficulty reading is the primary reason students are assigned to special education So um, obviously, as you're saying, we know how the teachers need to be prepared to be able to reach every student in the classroom. It sounds like there's been quite a bit of research done about the science of reading. Um, and teaching reading, um, and it remains a mystery as to why we aren't using that research and putting that into action to reach students um, in classrooms. Although I know that the New York, uh, the new um, commissioner of education in New York had said said that they're going to switch up how they're teaching reading in New York.
1: That is correct, um, Chancellor Banks, and I commend him for speaking out um, and basically. Uh, you can look at, I believe there's several articles, but the 74 put out a great article um, where he fully acknowledges that what's described as whole language fails most students. And no surprise that equates to about 65% of all students not being able to read proficiently. Um, and he al- he goes on to further say that it it fails our black children and our differently abled children so the kids with dyslexia or language based learning difficulties it's it's even worse for them um, which again has a direct correlation to the data um and that he wants to basically uh support and introduce and pioneer structured literacy in the classrooms, um, which makes so much sense. And the reason is when you, if we go back to what researchers say, 95% of all children can be taught to read by the end of first grade. Um, What that's saying is, think about it. If 95% of the kids um, are are receiving this type of direct and explicit instruction, it's also going to be very evident to the teachers in the classroom of who the 5% are that are struggling. Because if you're using a method that reaches 95, and you have this one or two over here on, you know, the left that are that are struggling, then you know that those two little children need more of a one-on-one situation for their, the delivery of their instruction. Um, whereas instead of having like a class of 20 or 25 or 30, I don't know what they are today anymore in kindergarten. So let's say it's it's uh, 25 and one in five are dyslexic or have some kind of, you know, learning difficulty. Um, and the instruction is not reaching them, then that's about five kids that would be referred to special education services, right? Yeah, absolutely, and so I wanna correct myself. I said
0: commissioner of education, it's chancellor of New York City Public Schools. um, And we do applaud him for standing up and speaking out. Um, And I, I wanted to mention, we have chapters all across the country. Our Williamson County chapter in Tennessee came under enormous scrutiny because they have been very critical of the curriculum that's being used there. It's by great minds, it's called Wit and Wisdom. And it failed twice Maryland to be approved because it had no um, phonemic awareness component Um, and this is English language arts curriculum K through 5 I think Um, and so uh, they actually had to bring in another program in order to meet state standards so you know we have English language arts curriculum that's being written and used across America that is not uh, direct instruction explicit teaching the science of reading and and so just to talk quickly about how our brains learn to read and maybe, you know, so you talked about Lauren, she's in kindergarten, you've got a kindergarten teacher who um, is telling you, you know, oops, maybe I should have referred her to a jumpstart reading program, but now you've got kindergarten lost. And, and now, so bring us back. So we're you're, we're with Lauren, she's entering first grade. And, and what are you doing as a mom? What, what are you thinking at this point?
1: Um, well, you know, exactly what the system wanted us to do was we went out and we hired a tutor. Mm. Okay. let me just tell you, folks, if you're out hiring a tutor for a kiddo that just finished kindergarten and can't read at a kindergarten level, um, they're not receiving uh, appropriate education. They're not receiving appropriate instruction. And as soon as you've hired a tutor at that point, It is evidence of the denial of a free and appropriate public education, which is um, a federal law that is um, supposed to guarantee all children um, appropriate education and literacy proficiency. So right then and there was evidence that my child Um, or excuse me, that the district was non-compliant with federal law called child find. It's a child find is a mandate that all districts find all children that are struggling and they are supposed to evaluate them for their learning struggles. They're supposed to identify their learning struggles and they are supposed to address the learning struggles immediately. So let's go Without- back for a
0: second. Child find. So for parents who think that their children might be struggling right now, but the school hasn't um, approached them at all to, to evaluate their child, but they'd like to have their child evaluated. You said it's a mandate. Explain what you mean by that. Uh,
1: well, okay. So it's, it's a federal law. Federal law, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, and it is the district's responsibility to adhere to that law without a parent even having to say a word like they're okay. Like I did, I should not have ever had to advocate for Lauren. That's what that means. That means it's their job. It's their responsibility. And by receiving federal funds that fund the individuals with disabilities education act, which is uh, an acronym called IDEA we refer to by by accepting those dollars from the federal government, in theory, they're accepting responsibility for the child find mandate. And um, every district
0: or- is going to have someone that's responsible for child find in their district. You're going to have at least one person um, Absolutely, that is going to be responsible for that, for, for ensuring that that is happening. So... Just parents know that, you know, there is a federal law that mandates that districts are finding the children, literally that child find, finding those children that are struggling and that need additional support, and um, they're funded to provide that support, to find the ways to meet the needs of that child and to scaffold the instruction however they need to do it, including increasing supports for that child to be able to be successful. And if that's not happening and you th- and your child is struggling in school, um, you do have recourse.
1: Yes, you do. Um, you you want to make sure it's probably in your welcome kit. When you get started in kindergarten, there's a, a piece of paper. It's called your procedural safeguards. Um, and it's in there, and they probably hope you never read it. <laughs> yeah, right. But I encourage you all to pay attention to your procedural safeguards to child fines, um, to what would have been the next step, which is um, an educational evaluation, which is what my district should have provided without me even saying a question. The fact that the teacher acknowledged Lauren's struggles, he should have gone to his administration and said, Lauren is struggling, she needs an evaluation. That's what should happen. But what happens in reality is most parents don't find out until the end of kindergarten or the end of first grade or second grade or, or third, third grade, grade like or
0: fourth. I know. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or never, yeah. or never. Um, and then a parent is immediately on sort of like the defense, the, the the mama bear comes in. What do you mean in hindsight? What do you mean, You know, and it's like you're harming my child and now you want me to, you know, use honey to make sure my child um, receives all of her civil rights to an appropriate education. Um, So basically back to the gaslighting, we we were on the receiving end of gaslight. We hired a tutor. I should never have hired a tutor. I should have demanded that the district um, adhere and comply with federal law. Um, But again, I was naive and I didn't know. So fast forward um, into first grade, Lauren continued to struggle. Her behaviors became more pronounced, more frequent. She did not like going to school. This is a little girl that used to be fun-loving, outgoing, very articulate, All of a sudden, she doesn't like going to school. Well, she loves to be at home, but she doesn't like school. Something is going on in that environment that is causing her to not like school. Um, And that was even with having private tutor support. Okay, So because she was struggling and her struggles continued and became more pronounced, I reached out to the Massachusetts General Hospital They have what's called a learning and emotional assessment program. And I was like, can I please get an evaluation? And they were like, oh, sure, Mrs. Muller, That'll be, you know, a year from now. And I was like, my kid doesn't have a year. Right. Yeah. Literally, she was on the books for a year. Now, you know, again, being naive uh, right then and there, I should have just gone and done one of two things. I should have gotten a private evaluation right away, which still probably takes about six months, okay, Um, in this neck of the woods, or I should have written a letter um, to the district demanding the educational evaluation, which they were telling me wasn't necessary because, oh, she'll catch up, you know, all kids develop differently, um, you know, she's bright, she's articulate, but she'll catch up. Don't worry, mom. This
0: brings up such a good point. I, I, um, was talking to my pediatrician and I was asking him when we were dealing with all these issues with the masking and all this stuff. And I'm have, I had all these parents, I was a school board member, I had all these parents coming to me and saying, Oh my gosh, I'm seeing all of these harms from the restrictions, the quarantines, you know, the masking, all of this different stuff. And, um, you know, the district was the parents' concerns meant nothing. And, uh, then I went to the pediatrician. And I said, you know, where do you weigh parent concern and parent instinct when you're making decisions? He says, and he, and his answer back to me was, you know, I might look at a kid and not think there's an issue, but if I've got a parent telling me that things are happening and they're they're instinctually, they feel something's wrong, he's like, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to follow up on that. And so once again, we hear of another situation where you've got a parent going to a district, talking to them, saying something's wrong. It's just not right. And the district, as you said, gaslight, basically just saying, you know, well, we're not seeing the behavior issues and um we don't think it's necessary instead of you know trusting the parent as the partner
1: yeah i i mean i commend you i mean do not co-parent with the government we don't and that is you know i always think of moms for liberty when i think about that phrase
0: (laughs) i've I've gotten that thing through I think, uh, I
1: think about you when I hear
0: literacy is equity. So Lauren goes through first grade now. At what point, because I know you did make the chance to eventually pull her from public school, and that yeah. must have been, what was that decision like for you? How did you come to that, to make that decision and tell us how she how she's done since then?
1: Okay, so um, she had her evaluation in the beginning of second grade at Mass General Hospital. They identified the dyslexia, her Her executive functioning weaknesses, her dyscalculia, which is the math disability of, you know, it's it's the dyslexia of math, I guess you could say. Um, I went in, I met with the principal, I gave him this report and he was like, oh, looks like we missed some things. And I was like, yeah, you think like how cavalier of an attitude for a principal of an elementary school to. Reply to a parent who's now literally at that point, I was on my way. I was actually in the throes of depression. I didn't even know it. Um, But that's because, you know, when these things happen to your children, um, especially for me, it, it affects me. I feel it like I carried my daughter's frustrations and sadness and anger with me the entire day. Um, I don't think there's anything
0: worse than seeing your child struggle and feeling powerless to help them.
1: I absolutely agree. I mean, I have many situations where I felt powerless and Lauren's life at in, in one situation was literally on the line. Um, but that's how I felt. So, you know, Lauren qualified for an IEP as a result of the Diagnosis from Mass General Hospital.
0: And, Stop and again, so, wait, we, we have to we always define acronyms here because one of okay, my pet yeah. with public education has always been they use so many acronyms as a parent. It's hard to follow along. So an IEP, Marilyn,
1: is an individualized education program that is, again, part of the federal law um, that is intended to support children that need additional services um and it's supposed to be individualized so it's supposed to be just for Lauren
0: unique for every child so
1: yes yes okay so i thought that when she qualified for an iep that they would be implementing all of these recommendations of her, her neuropsychologist at mass general hospital cuz you know they're only number 1 in the country for psychiatric and you know that type of um, service provider so her recommendations I thought would be implemented into her IEP Um, and I also thought that by being granted this IEP that this situation would get better but guess what that's when it got worse Um.
0: So she's. This is second grade. You said the beginning. She had the evaluation done. You bring it to the school. The principal acknowledges that they missed a few things, mm-hmm. right? Like three years of your daughter's or two, three years of your daughter's educational life so far, and um, and then the IEP is put into place. That's not helping at, at this point because they're not giving her what she needs in school. Are they?
1: No. Um. You know the school she goes to now. Um, Their motto is, give each child what they most need to thrive. Makes sense. It makes complete sense. Something so simple. Um, However, you have to understand that our teachers are not trained or credentialed. They're literally failed by our college education system. They do not have the knowledge the skills the tools they need to give each child what they most need
0: so how can we how can we help our teachers
1: i know that lauren's now in
0: private school right how's she doing just so that we can give everyone a better picture of of what it looks like when a child is given what they need to thrive she
1: is a straight a student awesome she can't wait to get to school, although she's not excited about the amount of homework she has now in eighth
0: grade. <laughs> sure,
1: yeah. Um, And she was elected to student council president. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations.
0: So really you. seeing your daughter's full potential being unfolded.
1: Oh, I mean, I, I get emotional. I still get emotional because my daughter could not, could, could not read or write or numerate on a third grade level. And
0: that's the make or break point, folks. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you look at, should they say children, you know, need to learn to read up until about third grade. I always say second, even the math, it, it, there, you have to be able to read in, in elementary school, in, in, even in first, second grade, some of the work that I see. And um, if they are, are not able to learn to read by third grade, Uh, They're really at a loss, aren't they? Because then they need to be able to read to learn. There's a lot of independent learning that goes on at that point. And then, you know, no wonder these kids are frustrated in school. No wonder we see the behavior problems that we see across the country because they're being asked to do something that they're not able to do. Um, You know, so then we talk about, you're talking about professional development. How can parents across this country right now put the focus on uh, the the professional development and the teacher training uh, that teachers need? Um, Marilyn, one of my concerns has been, I've seen, I see all of this, I call it alphabet soup the SEL and the DEI and the CRT and all this stuff. And it all seems to be an excuse for educational failure that, you know, there are no metrics that you can use. There's no outcomes that you're looking for with any of this much, much different, obviously, than reading and writing and, and math. And so, you know, it, it seems to be a safe space for educators to kind of go into because they really can't be held accountable um, for not meeting the needs of students. But you know, how are we holding teachers accountable for doing a job that they're not being trained to do, right? How, how can we change that in America today?
1: Well, this is um, the my primary focus at this point. There's two ways that I personally am addressing it. Number one, your state's Department of Education um, has a significant play in this because they authorize um, grants and money to your your public funded colleges and universities. Okay, so demanding that they reform and update the um, preparation programs at your state university and colleges is, is is one avenue. The other avenue is my husband and I have personally sponsored uh, individuals um, to um get their training and credentialing in a direct and explicit um uh, process okay to to be able to deliver this type of instruction um
0: but i mean there's because- money there's money I, you, and we were talk about the ESSER funds and you've been posting uh, how much how much money 190 i mean how much money has been flowing into schools. And, and I mean, so, you know, it's lovely that you, you personally are sponsoring that. That's amazing, but you know, there is money right now, taxpayer money that could be used to retrain these teachers that are teaching in classrooms, right?
1: Yes. And there are a few States that are doing this. I think one of the first States was Oklahoma, um, Joy Hoffmeister, um, in Oklahoma, who I believe now is running for governor, but she used her ESSER money um, to establish science of reading. um, I believe, I don't know, she called it Academy or whatever the case may be, but it's a a three-year program where they're retraining 10,000 elementary school teachers. Um, See, the big thing here is training these teachers in the science of reading is not part of even their ongoing professional development and so teachers will have to pay for they're faced with paying for this type of training themselves and i i truly believe that they should not be required to train for this when they were failed in teaching college hundred like, percent. I
0: agree with you. And so parents, if you're listening right now and you're watching as professional development is going on in your district to, you know, help your teachers to dismantle the white privilege of five year olds. Right. Um, maybe you the next time you go to your school board meeting um, or, or you speak with your superintendent and district staff, ask them how they are addressing uh, the needs of the students in the schools that are not reading or that. How are they teaching reading in school and how are they supporting their teachers to be able to teach reading? Uh, Teach kids to read. And um, because there is money in every school district budget for professional development, there is absolutely no reason teachers should have to pay for this themselves.
1: That is correct. So, um, I mean, uh, quite honestly, um, I have said this before, but basically, all the teachers that have paid for um, college. Uh, that may still have some college debt. Guess what? You all have phony degrees because you thought you were going to be able to teach kids how to read, write, and do math. And, you know, your colleges failed you. <laughs> so while so- we have
0: Secretary Cardona... Uh, Secretary of Education of the United States of America, you know, reminding everyone to go get vaccinated every five seconds, uh, which mm-hmm. is what all his tweets were. There, you, I, I saw you commented on Twitter. If you don't follow Marilyn on Twitter, you should. She's a wealth of information. She's very funny, too. She cuts right to the heart of things. And I saw you calling out Secretary Cardona saying, you know, like, remember when he did the eight eight holidays or something? And it was all, all right. focused on mm-hmm. COVID. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, we have schools that are still that are closing. We have kids that are not in classrooms. And and yet this is the focus, right? When when even when the kids are in classrooms, they're not getting what they need. So now focusing on the the State Board of Education um, is one way that we can that you're saying that we can put attention to this. What else can we do? You know, just keep
1: raising awareness. I mean, I I. I've been try- trying to rally parents for, for years. It, it's funny because in preparation for this conversation, I went on Twitter and I went to look at like, what is my oldest tweet? And it's from like early 2018. Clear. And I was addressing then assistant secretary of um, office of special education. And it talks about language-based learning difficulties. And what are you doing? kids read and i am so distraught i am so angry um you know i'm just one person and i do this like i said you know pro bono um i drive my daughter to and from school every day and accumulate 700 miles a week doing it um and nothing has changed um, Lauren's life far- has
0: changed. I mean, you have been you have been lucky enough and blessed enough to be able to find a school that meets her needs and to be able to afford to pay for it. Unfortunately, that that's not an option that a lot of parents in America have, as far as private no. education is concerned. And so, you know, we look at school choice. You know, Marilyn, I have to be honest with you. You've uh, you've been a a lovely friend to me and in in teaching me and talking to me about some of these issues and I follow you on Twitter. You are making a difference just so that you know. I I want you to know that I think you are um, spreading information and awareness around the country. Um, And I know you support many different moms and dads across the country um, in in kind of this journey of learning about, you know, how to make sure your child is getting what they need in school. Um, Kids should want to go to school. It shouldn't be that they hate school. And unfortunately, you know, for many children that is the case. One of the things that you shared with me very early on and I saw as a school board member was that parents of children with special education have very directly seen how broken our public education system is. Um, And... um, more often uh, I think than other parents, a lot of parents are as you said before, are able to float through with their kids and their kids you know I don't think that kids are getting what they really need in school, to be honest with you. I think that we can do better, um but they're certainly not you know facing a life of struggle due to not being given the skills they need to be able to read and but sixty percent of our kids are right, and so school choice, I know you're a big advocate for school choice um Any parting words for parents about finding the right situation for their child and exploring different schooling options?
1: Okay. So yeah, number one, I'll be very frank and clear that I tried. I tried to get the system to change. I spent my own money, my own time. I've flown to DC on numerous occasions. I had meetings at the Department of Education with several different individuals. I've met with many different reps from many different countries, um, House of Representatives, as well as senators. Um, Conversations continue. However, um, our children don't have time for this game and i fought and fought and fought and fought and and asked and asked and asked for you know teacher prep to be updated um and so based on the resistance and the opposition and um one key phrase that someone said to me once was this will be very hard because of the dark forces working against you okay i.e lobbyists for curriculum right curriculum publishers and writers, um, unions and the like. Okay. And as a result of that conversation, I was like, you know what, if the system is not going to change, then I am going to change and I am going to support education freedom, school choice. Um, I became a single issue voter. I became a registered independent, basically. Um, I no longer support parties i don't care if you're a democrat or a republican if you place children first and their literacy first and you know um so amen marilyn i think a lot of parents are there now too
0: right i mean i, I think a lot of parents are, are looking at republicans democrats they're just they don't care anymore about the party it doesn't matter they want to see people making good decisions for children in this country
1: Yes. Um, I'm telling you, this generation, I am gravely concerned about this generation of children, Um, mainly because guess what? The kids that are locked in these failing government schools that can't read and write proficiently um, are going to be up against the children like my Lauren, who is thriving in person, in private, and has never lost a day of school since school reopened in september of 2020 right these we don't have achievement gaps anymore we have achievement canyons wow Um, um and if these if these elected officials don't give parents access to their children's education dollars then they are criminals this is crimes against children. It is crimes against children. Point. And it's fraud too, by the
0: way. I mean, you talk about Absolutely. federal mandate for child fund and IDEA and IEPs not being served. We've seen that happening across the, the country, this idea that you're serving children's IEPs through, you know, Zoom with masks on just ridiculousness. And so it's fraud. How much money is being spent? I mean, just in general in public education where we are, you know, guaranteeing a free and appropriate public education for these children and we're not delivering on that. And so... You know, it's taxpayer money that's being wasted, misallocated. People need to get angry uh, and, and, and stand up and fight back. These are our tax dollars that can be used in a different way to really meet the needs of kids. The other thing, Marilyn, and I know you'll probably agree with me, if unions really cared about teachers, they would be fighting for better teacher prep and better teacher That's- training so that the teachers could be better at their jobs in the classroom. And that is the one thing I never, ever, ever hear unions talking about. And if they really cared about their membership, don't you think that they would be discussing that?
1: Uh, well, I can tell you anecdotally that I had a face-to-face meeting with Randy Weingarten Ooh. <laughs> last May to talk about this very topic. And I said to her specifically... Why don't I hear you saying, my teacher members are failed in college. They're not prepared to teach these kids to read and write and numerate. Where is the science of reading? I've heard rumors that um, they are embarking on a literacy initiative. I applaud that, but don't buy the gaslight. It has to be action. I want action from People like Randy Weingarten, Becky Pringle. I need to see action. Yeah, um, I mean, I'd
0: like for them to be as concerned about you know they're they're all about SEL, CRT. I'd love for them to be as concerned about the reading. I've said a couple times, and I will continue to say this in honor of you in every interview I do. Can we just teach the kids to read? I was on Dr. Phil, uh, they just aired, but we filmed it in August. And I I said, before we activate our children into social justice warriors, can we teach them how to read? Because the truth is, they're never going to be able to think for themselves if they can't read. And maybe that's the point, Marilyn. You know, when you talk about dark forces, do you think, I mean, I know that sounds conspiratorial, but I'm at the point now where I'm like, maybe... Maybe America doesn't want the kids to be critical thinkers. Maybe they really don't want them to question and to read and to understand. Maybe they just want them to do what they're told.
1: Yeah, I have many reasons to believe that that's not um, a conspiracy. And I always go back to Frederick Douglass. Um, Frederick Douglass says that the illiterate man is a slave. And the literate man is um, a member of a, of the free republic. Okay, so basically, uh, illiterate people are easier to control, manipulate, things of that nature. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but.
0: So parents you know, aren't here. crazy when they're concerned about this. This is a, a real concern, right? We want our kids to be uh, free thinkers. We want them to be able to think for themselves, right? One of the things that I saw through COVID, it was difficult to kind of d- go through, to be discerning, right? And to go through the data and to, to be able to look at things critically and to be able to ask questions. And, you know, I look at that, when I think about this generation as adults, I just worry that, you know, as you said, these, edu- these uh, achievement canyons, you know, are these kids going to be able to, to, you know, think for themselves? And reading is such an important part of it. It opens up an entire world. Um, it opens right. up the world, right, to the kids. Right.
1: One thing, just quickly, I know we're going to close up here is um, when all of this was going on and we have all these this, this noise coming at us from different media outlets about masking and vaccination and this and that and the other. Lauren um, would often sit and we'd flip through all the the channels and listen to alternative debates and discussion and sources of information. And Lauren was able to, um, you know, come to her own decision. And I I would say to her, you know, who do you believe and why do you believe them? And then I said to her, okay. do you think you would be able to formulate the same decision if this was the old Lauren in the old school when she couldn't read? And she said, no way.
0: No, and she'd be angry too. So in that kind of, like, as we close out, I want to kind of go back to, you know, you mentioned the horrible shooting out in Michigan. We look at, you know, why are these children angry? Why are they fighting? Why are we seeing so much violence? I think that part of it is that we're not giving them Uh, the tools they need to be able to be successful. And, um, you know, children show that through their behavior, as you said. And when the children are young, it looks a lot like aggressiveness, right? It looks like sadness, and then it looks like aggression.
1: Um, I, you know what, if you spent 13 years in a compulsory environment, that makes you feel like a failure, and you can't read and participate in classroom discussion uh i'd be angry too yeah and it's time we all get angry
0: so you know i say we're joyful warriors we're going to fight like hell with a smile on our faces um we're parents we love our kids we're doing this because we want to see um, them have the best lives possible and we want that for every child by the way um it's not just about our kids it's about all the kids in america they're going to grow up together they're going to live together as adults they're going to get married they're going to have kids hopefully and be able to raise families. And um, You know, we're fighting for all children to be able to have um, to be able to have happy lives. Right. And so thank you for your time, Marilyn. Thank you for being such a champion for parents and children. Again, if you want to follow Marilyn on Twitter,
1: Marilyn, give them the handles that they can follow. Uh, One in five advocacy, which is, uh, you know, goes back to the one in five children struggle to learn to read. Um, And we also have a collaboration of moms um, that all had children with learning struggles, um, and we all co-moderate the Moms for Education Freedom also on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but I'm primarily active on Twitter. So.
0: Okay, and so if parents have questions or anything, um, they, can, they can just tag you and ask a question, and, and, and I know that you see all those tweets. I see you interact all the time, and hopefully if you have an answer or some one of the other moms does, um, we'll be able to help them. Um, and if you're just looking for um, a place for information and to start learning, um, it's a great place to start. So again, Marilyn, thank you for your time. And um, we're so glad that Lauren is doing well. Um, I had the opportunity to meet her. She is a wonderful young lady. And uh, again, congratulations on Student Council President. Um, just awesome. <laughs> thank you. You're thank
1: welcome. you. Thank you for all the work you are doing. Um, I appreciate all parent Um, child advocates. I know no one ever agrees on everything, um, but I think that you are doing God's work as well. Thank you very much, Marilyn. I hope you have a great day. Happy New Year. Thank you. you.
0: Bye-bye. Next up, we chat with Pat, chapter chair coordinator for Moms for Liberty across the United States of America. Okay, now it's time for a chat with Pat, and we just got to hear from Marilyn Muller. Pat, she's a mom that has been an advocate for her child within the public school system. Her daughter um, is dyslexic, and now she's a mom on a mission who's been fighting for kids all over the country. and. Um, now we're going to talk to. Uh, now I want to talk to you, excuse me, um, about another mom that we know, a woman uh, in our community who was the director of the Education Foundation um, here for many years, um, and she has a son with special needs. And um, she wrote an article uh, that you're going to tell us a little bit about today. That I thought would would be a, a good way to kind of chat with you about. I know a lot of our moms have children that have special needs, and. Um, boy, especially as parents really get intimate. It's an intimate relationship with their school district, isn't it?
2: It really is. And and our friend, Cynthia Filardo, um, is, is no exception to that. And the difference is um, she is an amazingly intelligent human being who um, is a great writer. So she's been able to share her experience with parents. Um, and she has dealt with, a a school system uh, who told her that she was just going to be, have to be satisfied with what they could do for her.
0: Right. And it would just
2: have to be enough.
0: Yeah. So she wrote IEP prep, the mama bear strategy, how to hide your claws and get what you want, <laughs> so tell us, isn't about that great? That's a, yeah, she's so funny. I
2: mean, only a mom who's been through the fire
0: could, yeah. could make just that to be title, clear, right? Yep, yeah, and just to be clear, Cynthia's son, Wyatt, um, is, graduated from, is graduating from high school and going on to college, and, and he has just you know, any goal he has set for himself, he has reached and exceeded. So, tell us what Cynthia's tips are, okay? So So um,
2: IEP prep using the mama bear strategy. And she says you should hide your claws and get what you want. And and we all know, um, we've all said it, especially here at Moms for Liberty, when they come for our children, (laughs) we get upset. And so when moms and dads are at their child's IEP meeting and it seems like the system is failing your child, once again, there are some tips that Cynthia has learned through the years. Um, to help you uh, navigate that, navigate that um, field of dealing with the school system. So number one is to have meetings before the meeting, the the IEP, individualized Individualized education plan, excuse me. Uh, That meeting is the the meeting where they write that legal document that's going to guide your child's education. But before that meeting, she suggests that uh, if you do nothing else that she advises you to do, that you take time to have meetings in advance of your child's IEP meeting. Um, You need uh, to be clear and updated on how your child's performing and. You also need an opportunity to share your concerns and your vision for your child's academic future. This is important because I don't know uh, how many meetings you've attended, but lots of times when the parent walks into the IEP meeting, the team has already decided what the goals, objections, and Goals. Well, they're supposed objectives. to write it with you.
0: It's supposed to be. They're a,
2: supposed to, supposed but
0: to a you and I both, know, you and I both know that
2: most of the time they already have those goals and objectives written ahead of time, and they already, you know, they already know what they want to put there. So, so I've been it's through important. the meeting.
0: Yeah, I've been through um, several meetings um, for two of the kids and. Um, my experience has been that it that it sometimes can seem a little bit like a form like like and you know you right. wonder where is my child really in all that word salad language because it's very hard sometimes to understand yeah. what they're saying about you know what it is they're they're hoping for your son you know to accomplish or uh, your child right. to accomplish. So anyway, interesting. So and and Cynthia went through many many IEP meetings I am sure, right?
2: Yes. And and so her advice is Um, while you're getting to know the the teachers and while the teachers are getting to know you and your child, you make sure you've had a voice and meetings prior to the IEP meeting so that they uh, understand your concerns and your vision for your child's future. You are. And that's that's another one of her points. Um, But it also takes away any surprises that could derail an IEP meeting. So if you have... Um, took the time to communicate clearly with the teachers and they have taken and they have communicated with you. You don't all of a sudden show up to an IEP meeting and then, you know, they drop something on your lap. You've never heard of before um, because that can really derail a meeting. So she suggests have meetings before the meeting. Also, Publish an agenda and lay it all out on the table. Now, you talk about getting a seat at the table. This is like getting in the driver's seat, right? Um, Cynthia always writes up an agenda of what she wants to cover in the IEP.
0: Now, how does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> I mean, so you're making sure that your thoughts are organized and that you're not leaving the meeting. You know, there it's only there's a certain amount of time allotted. Obviously, the staff members have to be a part of it. And, um you know, so you're going to get a certain amount of time to speak and, and, and a certain amount of time to listen. So you want to make sure that everything that you walked in that you wanted to cover gets covered. So I think it's a great yeah. idea. I mean, you know, she says an agenda. It's just a list. Just make a list. It doesn't have to yeah. be. Yeah, you know, and just she put, says. We say three points, she says, three, you know, pick three things. Yeah. Here. Yeah.
2: She says she lists her concerns and her ideas on how we can help move my child towards mastery. The non-academic achievements have helped the team identify motivators and strategies. Okay, so then the next one is data. Review the data and make it work for you. Um, She said she has a slippery love affair with data, and sometimes she wants to cover it with kisses, and other times she wants to (laughs) banish it from her memory. (laughs) Um, But you want to make sure you review the benchmark and the progressive test scores and uh, look for advancement. Um, think about how you can partner in advancing those gains. And she said, um, you know, she was probably the only parrot that celebrated her son being at the top of the red zone. You know, they have the red, yellow, green or whatever. But she said, you know, he had gone so far to get front, get to that point and he was, all, you know, to climb closer to the green zone. So she also says, make sure you're an optimist. So, um, you know, the data may say they're still not where they need to be, but um, if they're improving, uh, you should definitely recognize that and, and be the optimist. OK, uh, number four, uh, I often say that there is always a naysayer. These are often categorized as data people or assistant principals. Nonetheless, you have to gain them on your team. So identify the protagonist and kill him with kindness.
0: (laughs) And then she she says- Chocolate or liquor is also an option. (laughs) I just want to say that I tried this like long, long time ago. Oh my gosh, now I'm going to get in trouble. But I a long time ago, and you know, I, Pat and I have kids that are, in this, that are the same age. And I brought um, one of the teachers as a Christmas present, like a really nice bottle of wine, not even thinking, and this is when I only had like one kid in school. Now I have four. I wouldn't do this now, obviously. I, I was a school member. I know you're not supposed to have alcohol on campus. But I brought her a bottle of wine, and she was... Like oh my gosh, she was so worried. I was like, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> so maybe right. not liquor, yeah, but yep. chocolate if you, or if, coffee. If you apply
2: them with chocolate on campus, but liquor off campus, right? yeah, <laughs> that is a good point. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. For any parents, like not, but she it's a no, no.
2: Right, <laughs> that was so funny. funny. But figure out how to reach them. You you do. I mean, like I I say this all the time, especially to our chapter chairs. Um, you know, you ha- these. And even with school board members, they may not be the school board member that you want there, but you've got to advocate for your child. they're the one you've got there. So they're the one you've got there. So you've got to figure out how to work with them the best you can until you can get better. So um, she says, figure out how to reach reach that person. You know, once you've identified, okay, this is going to be the fly in the ointment, um, figure out how to get that person on your team.
0: That's a, um, that's and so great, that's a great one that's awesome
2: yeah and I can totally knowing knowing Cynthia as we do um you and I both know that she's a master at that one
0: yeah but you know um, what I love about Cynthia is that yeah she she is but she, she does it in it she's her expectations never change her expectations are very high so there's never some idea that you know somehow she'll change what her expectations are for her child oh no she doesn't she doesn't say to so do she number at all. five? be realistic but have a vision map a plan of success yes
2: so you know your child yep. better than anyone um and if you don't have a clear vision of what you want for your child then how the heck she said do you expect anyone else to um that's
0: a great question yeah
2: well you know i think when we talk about parents and their responsibilities as far as their children go we have gotten so accustomed to say to looking at the teachers and go well you're the expert. So whatever you say goes, and um, you know, I'll just go with whatever you say, but you know, when the expert doesn't really know your child, I mean, think about how many children that they're serving and they're, if they're letting your child by, and this happened with my child, and he's not even identified with a special need, but the, they were letting him by with mediocrity and he could do so much better. And so I knew that. And, so, and I communicated that to his teacher so you know your child and don't be afraid to set the bar higher than what they are telling you. And trust yourself. Yeah. And she said, you may not get there, but you'll come close and you'll be better off for it. Well, and you'll have um, other, and you'll, and other, so,
0: and you'll be, know where to go in the future when you have to map out again, you'll have a place where you know that you were, you know, continuing to strive to. So make sure you, you know, write it down and hold right. on to it. And so number six, right. know the rules of the game and when to call in the troops.
2: Yes. Um, and, you know, we talk about how great Cynthia is at getting people on her team. But she says you got to know when singing Kumbaya doesn't rally the team and you might have to get an outside advocate. Um, and this may mean you go uh, look for someone in the high RV of the school district who you trust, who. Um, it might mean you have to have a separate meeting with other decision makers to review like the an policy and procedure or something. Like yeah. That, someone above them. The yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, um, you know, if, if you are if you know that your child is not getting what he needs or she needs and you feel like you need to go further, please do. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can tell you a story about a dear friend of mine. Um, I actually taught, I actually taught her son. He's he's a grown man now. Um, that's I'm aging myself. But they actually in an IEP meeting wanted to tell her, Oh, well, we'll just he doesn't have to take all the um, state mandated tests, we can just pass him through. But she knew, kudos to her, that at, if he had done that, he would not graduate with a diploma. He would have just graduated with a, a certificate of completion. Right. And that mom fought for her son. And he has graduated and, you know, gone on to take college courses. He's he's a productive member of society. And um, while well, he's studying for to be an electrician. So you uh, know how let, hard it is what, to
0: find an electrician right now.
2: Yeah, but labor. when he oh was in, gracious, but, these guys but are when so he busy. was in, but when he was in third grade, they almost kept him from that, and yeah, so, um, but his mom knew that he could do it, and she fought for him. So do that. Um, she did not accept what they were telling her, and uh, then number seven, I think, is something. Um, probably a lot of the moms. Uh, Mike has used this advice. And she says, avoid Facebook.
0: (laughs) Yeah. just don't have any conversations online with teachers or, you know, in, in that way. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, common sense. I think, yeah, keep the, keep the conversations face to face. I mean, the goal is to build relationships. So, you know, we talk a lot at Moms for Liberty about, you know, we want you to be effective advocates for your kids. What does that look like? And, you know, sometimes it, you know, we say be a joyful warrior, but, you know, sometimes you're going to, things happen with your kids. It's very difficult you know, yeah. You want to try to to have,
2: yeah, you want to try to have those, you know, if you're upset, um, try to have a a real discussion with uh, teachers. Don't post the cryptic message on Facebook, come for my child and I'm going to come for you or whatever, you know, um, have that conversation with them. Um, and and I think,
0: well, and I think that the, the point is that, you know, as parents, if, if we can build the relationship and at least the people know who you are and they know what your expectations are and, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to be buddy-buddy with them No, you know, you're not going to be friends with everyone, but that you can have a professional relationship where, you know, you're putting your child first and they're putting your child first. Um, when conflict does arise, then you're going to have built those relationships already. Right. And you're going to be able right. to go to that person and they're going to have, you know, and they're going to have an understanding of, you know, you're not just starting at the beginning. And, if you have a child with special needs, I think Cynthia's whole point in this is that, you know, you're going to be dealing with the school district in a lot of ways. This is a relationship. It is a partnership. It's a partnership for every parent, you know. And so today we focused on um, children and, and IEPs and students in school and if they're getting what they need uh, to learn to read, which is really, you know, if you I always say, if we did nothing else, but they're great. Let's just teach the kids to read. Let's just focus on that. And if that, if, if, you know, by the end of second grade, by third grade, every child was reading, um, how amazing that would be. And uh, there's no reason why that's not happening right now. It certainly isn't for a lack of money, right?
2: Right. Well, and I just, you know, as a former teacher, want to say be the squeaky wheel. Um, Don't stop. Uh, And especially if your child is young and you know that they need interventions as an early childhood educator, get them their early interventions. The earlier, the better. That's what Marilyn um, talked
0: about, Pat. And when you listen to the podcast this week, you'll hear her. she talks about the fact that she just wished she had realized earlier that she had stepped in earlier because people will tell you like, oh, they're fine. They'll learn to read or, you know, that, that the speech impediment doesn't sound that serious. They'll grow out of it, right? But the truth is the earlier right. that you can intervene and as a parent, you need to trust yourself to know. That you know Absolutely. when you're seeing something that it's valid and you have the right to, you know, ask questions and to partner with the district because the district does have services for all children, whether they're enrolled in the district or not. Um, people can get services through their school district for their children um, for certain types of therapies and things. So, Pat, this was a really good talk today, and you know, kudos, uh, Cynthia Filardo, American hero, in my opinion, just strong mom who um, has been an amazing mentor to a lot of other moms.
2: She really has. If you and if you want to do a search for some of her writings, I mean, she's she's wrote some amazing articles about her life and um uh, and about just her journey, awesome. and it, it will warm your heart.
0: Okay. Any closing comments for this week, Pat?
2: You know, I did speak to a potential chapter chair this week, and her son was um, uh, on the autism spectrum, and she's looking to start a chapter in her area. And that's one of the things that she's concerned about with with public schools. So I would say that if you are a mom or a dad out there um, and you are seeing that the system needs parents um, paying attention, especially in the area of special education, consider starting a chapter of Moms for Liberty. Um, That's one of the many things that we do is insist that parents get their seat at the table. Um, and so you're not alone. We're here to help you and, uh, come find your tribe, go to momsforliberty.org and start a chapter or join one in your area.
0: Thank you for that. And, uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, um, I hope you all have uh, a good weekend and, um, we'll talk to you next week.
2: Have a great one. Bye-bye.
0: As always, we want to thank Pat Blackburn for her effort supporting joyful warriors around the country. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand. Our children. Our choice. Our future.